You are live with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here with John Beeler. Talking tech, as always, we've got a great show today. We're going to be uh, chatting about Starlink. This is Elon Musk's uh, satellite internet service that is now starting to roll out in uh, a lot of uh, rural communities in Canada, as far as the beta uh, version uh, is. We've uh, got a guest from Prince Edward County in Ontario who's got this all set up and has been using it. So we're going to get the lowdown on how well it works, how fast it is, how much it costs to get it all going. It's going to be a great uh, interview. We'll also uh, be talking about thread networking. What is thread networking? I didn't even know about this. It's uh, a new type of uh, smart home networking uh, that uh, you should be aware of if you've uh, got anything like uh, security cams and ring video doorbells and connected lights and vacuums, that kind of stuff. Let's talk about some of the news uh, right now, John. Fry's Electronics. I don't know if many listeners will know this retailer. They were just down in the States, but I remember seeing them and going to their stores back in the 90s, uh, you know, when I was down visiting different cities down there, and I loved their stores. They had just all sorts of cool tech in in the aisles, but uh, apparently now they are shutting their doors for good. Yeah, like you, uh, back in the 90s when I first discovered them, uh, basically the first time I think I went to one was in Palo Alto, California. And one of the things that really captivated me about this place is that imagine a place the size of Costco that just sold electronics, not just laptops and appliances and stuff like that, but also things like all the, the parts to make a computer. And, and I don't just mean like power supplies and things like that. I mean like resistors and chips and like all that stuff, like just right down to the granular level of building computers, electronics, toys, games. And they just had a ton of stuff that you just couldn't find anywhere else, which I just thought was fantastic. And um, the other really interesting thing that I, I learned on my second visit to a Fry's in a different city is that they're all different. They all have these crazy themed uh, sort of sh- showcases around the store. And one of them in, in, in the Bay Area was actually set up like at the inside of a computer. So you'd be walking down a, f- a floor and like they had like motherboards coming out of the ceiling. So it was like you were inside a computer. It was really cool. So it does look like their time has come. They are closing down 31 stores down the United States. They just weren't able to keep up with the e-commerce uh, revolution. I think Best Buy has probably done the best job of uh, that out of all the, the tech stores uh, down there. Uh, they cite COVID-19 and the lockdowns as being the issue, but I think they probably had issues before that, John. Yeah, I remember going uh, not long before uh, COVID hit. Uh, I was in Seattle and some of the, you know, some of the, uh, on the floor, some aisles were empty and it just like they weren't able to keep up. And apparently they had actually switched their, um, how the vendors would sell stuff. Like normally when you, 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 as a retailer, you would go and you get product and then you pay for the product. These vendors basically were on consignment. So they would only be willing to put their stuff on the fry shelves if they would get paid directly as soon as it sold and fries didn't want to carry a huge inventory i think because they saw the writing on the wall yeah i've I've seen that happen with other electronics retailers in the past uh you know i came from uh tech retailing myself back you know with the doppler computer superstores in vancouver and calgary and uh, anytime any of the retailers started going into a consignment based uh, uh relationship with their suppliers that was kind of 
you know, near the end. And it's tough for the suppliers, right? Because, uh, you know, if these stores uh, typically go out of business, they can literally lose millions of dollars of inventory that are, you know, stuck on the shelves there. Yeah. So I, I think it is a great loss because it was such a fun store, especially for a geeky nerd like me, just to go down there. I used to refer to it as going to Mecca because it's the place that had everything you could ever want to make. And, you know, that's where one of the first places I ever saw a 3D printer in a store as well. And um, and I used to buy a lot of my supplies from Fry's, especially when we go to CES. They had a huge one in, in Las Vegas that was just down the strip. Uh, and it was fantastic. I would just jump in a cab, go there do some shopping, fill up my suitcase and come home. <laughs> well, yeah, it is sad. I mean, Best Buy is coming off one of their best quarters, they say, in the past 25 years. So, uh, you know, for some retailers uh, and e-tailers, uh, COVID-19 and the the lockdowns have been a, uh, I guess, a blessing in disguise for them. You know, obviously, a lot of people working from home need all that tech gear like laptops and cameras and computers. So, yeah, it's sad to see them go. Quickly, uh, Amazon is launching new uh, Ring Video Doorbell uh, Pro 2 in Canada. We've got uh, an article up on our website about that. Uh, this one uh, has head-to-toe view, 3D motion detection, and Alexa greetings as well. So if you're not home, it can uh, actually tell them uh, to leave packages in certain areas or, or take a message. That's really cool. Because sometimes like, I want to tell the Amazon driver to put it in a certain place. You know, so that I can still see it on the camera, yeah. But it's also still hidden from the view of you know people driving by on the street, and be nice to be able to tell them to do that as they're delivering it. Do you know what the problem with that though is, John? Like, I love this Alexa greeting thing, but it's it's not practical because I don't know if you've watched the delivery drivers because I get quite a few packages. They they ring the doorbell and just run back to the truck, like they yeah. don't sit there and wait. Yes. Do you know what I mean? So cool. <laughs> Alexa can be greeting empty space, essentially. Maybe it can yell out to the truck, you know, hey, come back. But yeah, it's um, it's interesting. We'll uh, we'll be trying that out. Also up on our website uh, and uh, our YouTube channel, we've got a great uh, video about the new Amazon Echo Show 10. This is uh, a new smart assistant with a 10-inch screen that actually swivels and follows you around. So you'll want to check that out. When we come back from the break, it's all about internet satellite service. Is it right for you? How much is it? We'll get you all the details back after this. You are back with the program. Mike and John here. We've been talking a lot over the past year about Starlink. This is one of Elon Musk's companies that eventually he will use to take over the world. <laughs> He's got Tesla, SpaceX, uh, Solar City. Uh, the list goes on. Starlink's interesting because they are launching hundreds, if not thousands, of low-Earth orbit satellites to provide rural areas around the world with high-speed internet. And we've been pretty excited about this because uh, I've used satellite internet before, and it was not good. <laughs> it, was, it was horrendous. The lag, uh, you know, you'd click on a, a web page link, and it would just take... A long time for that to even load up well starlink is taking that uh, another leap forward it kind of works like your regular high speed we've actually got someone on the line that has had it installed uh, his name is dale mugford he's over in prince edward county in ontario a little uh, area between toronto and ottawa thanks for joining us dale yeah no problem thanks for having me and you're jo- you're joining us live through starlink you have got the through service starlink. set up and 
Uh, we actually have you on video right now, and your video mm-hmm. looks better than most other video feeds I've seen from <laughs> other other guests. Uh, how long have you had it? A little over a week now. I'd say almost ten days. Um, and uh, and the service has been really really good. I I was signed up for the beta back in the fall when it when it was available to sign up for the beta um, in our region in Canada, and it took my address. And I was like, awesome! It took my address. Okay. And then waiting, waiting, waiting. And then uh, somebody had told me, a friend uh, who is also looking for it out here in uh, Prince Edward County and was like, oh, I think they updated the website and now they're asking you to like confirm your location with a pin on the map. So I guess they had found that, and this is the case as we found living in a rural area that um, sometimes uh, Canada Post or the, the mapping services don't have your actual, like what you might put in for your address and where the pin shows up on the map isn't always correct as correct to say would be in an urban area because typically there's lots of correction going on there and people are correcting those addresses so they i guess they wanted to double check and confirm but i took it as a positive sign i re-signed up used the same email address just confirmed the pin and then literally i think a week later uh, i got an email just sitting here working at my computer and it was like hey you're invited to the beta i was like instantly on the website credit card open purchased paid for it six days later uh starlink shows up here and within about 15 minutes i was hooked up online and seeing 120 megabits down and 40 megabits up that that is an amazing uh, amount of speed what were you using before so i work in software and web development uh that's been my career for the last uh, 15 20 years um a few years ago, uh, my wife and I decided we wanted to move to this location. Prince Edward County is really beautiful in Ontario. My wife's from BC, actually, so um, the only thing stopping her from from us ending up moving to BC was uh, was Prince Edward County because she really loved the area and, and, and fell in love with it and, and was like, okay, I can live in Ontario if we live here. So, so we decided to move to a rural area, but of course it brings with it a huge challenge, uh, which is primarily internet access uh, in most rural areas, of course, right across Canada, in the U.S. and and particularly here in Ontario, there's slim pickings when it comes to good internet service providers. So what I was doing was I was actually using two different services. So I used a DSL service, which was fairly poor. It was only 10 down and one up. And an LTE, which is a fixed wireless service. So it basically uses the, the same technology that your cell phone is using, but it's got a big kind of almost like a a dish that's pointed at a cell tower and it can give you uh in this case for us it was originally 25 down and one up and then it was uh, upgrade this fall to 50 down and 10 up but we never saw those speeds and this is something that is just rampant in rural internet which is the advertised speeds and what users get are very far apart. There's a lot of traffic shaping that goes on. There's a lot of overselling of these services. So they don't install hardware adequate to serve the area, even though it might be a low density area. So Prince Edward County, for example, has 26,000 homes. You would think they'd be able to provide really, really good internet to everyone here, especially with a fixed wireless service with the cell towers, but they clearly don't install uh, enough in terms of a backbone and the, the towers to really provide adequate service. So they end up 
overselling those towers so that the time period say for example of high usage between say 5 and 10 p.m the connections were crippled like down to 0.5 megabits down you couldn't watch netflix you couldn't do anything uh, uh and, and it was really really terrible so i load balanced being a being a techie and a, and a nerdy guy i i got a load balancing router and had the two internet connections there and tried to do some traffic shaping myself at home push devices like internet of things, home devices to one network and uh, free up space and bandwidth for my computer, my wife's computer for working and try to really maximize and get the most out of these connections. And I would say that I was probably one out of two or three people in Prince Edward County doing this, not even businesses. I would, I would explain what I'm doing to people and they're like, what, what are you doing? How much is that costing you? And I would tell them $350 a month. Whoa, 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 whoa. Stop for your internet, 350 a month for both connections. Yes. They were charging me over a hundred dollars a month for the DSL connection that poor 10 down one up. Yeah. Uh, is that even usable? That- um, it's amazing. It's amazing what you can do with that. I, I would say like the advantage and what I was toying with was the DSL was really low latency. So stuff like gaming, uh, video conferencing and stuff like that, that required low latency. I was making sure those things happened on DSL. So even though the quality wasn't great, it could hold up. Um, and then pushing all the other traffic to the other internet uh, connection um, and, and doing the best that I could. And, and miraculously, things were okay. I think the real thing i mean my takeaway uh, on starlink is it's great to see 120 megabits down obviously even 50 megabits down the fixed wireless when it was full that's plenty fine honestly it's plenty fine you can do a lot of things with it you can stream 4k etc the the game changer what starlink's game changer is to me is upload bandwidth it allows content creators and people who are working from home it's gonna allow people to move to more rural areas and push things up so whether they're working in video or podcasting or like for me when i'm pushing you know software packages up and there are hundreds of megabytes it was almost unusable in terms of being able to truly work from home what people in the county did and we're lucky because it's a wine region and it attracts a lot of a lot of folks uh, we actually had and i was part of the group that started county co-working so it's a co-working space that's in the in the town of Picton, which is the the capital, Prince Edward County, and we had three like uh, um, fiber connections to the office. So in the towns themselves, there's really good internet, but as soon as you get into the sparse uh, um, uh, countryside, uh, that's where the challenges are. For us, we're on a five-acre property, got an old barn. It's a beautiful spot, but obviously very poor internet choices. And I think. There are a lot of Canadians in particular who the revolution for them will be being able to work adequately and uh, 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 from from relatively anywhere. And it's that upload bandwidth. Regularly, I'm seeing speed tests. And of course, it's still the beta. So there's a little bit of downtime every day, maybe somewhere in the range of five minutes. And then occasionally I'll get a no satellites. So that today was 22 seconds. And that's just because the network of satellites currently up it's just over a thousand now starlink pushed 60 i believe yesterday and then tomorrow will be another 60 that are going up so it's good I, th- I think that extra 120 assuming most of them are operational and it takes them about four minutes uh, sorry four months to get into their orbiting location i think that'll solve the last little bits of gaps in the network for the service areas they want to launch with 
And, and that will mean that we're, it's a lot more stable in terms of uh, the dropouts. And, and I assume that the beta downtime, which is really fascinating to me because they, when you look at it in the app, it kind of comes along and then there's little dips and it shows you beta downtime. And they're literally, the downtime is like six or seven seconds. And then it comes back on. And then, you know, five to 10 seconds later, it goes out again for five, seven seconds. And they're literally, they're literally trying to do it so that it's, it's imperceptible for most people. And uh, even connections like video connections, it'll hang and then it'll kick back in. So they're trying to do as much work as they can on the network without actually interfering with people's internet use, which is amazing. It's amazing what they're doing, pushing all of this software up to the satellites in real time stuff. It's incredible. Let's just do some uh, quick comparisons. So you're saying you're spending over 300 bucks a month for internet. And that's what I keep telling people when I'm talking about Starlink. Uh, They're saying, oh my God, it's $130 a month. And I'm like, well, you don't know how much internet costs in some of these these places. And you've actually got two internet services going so that you can even get uh, some half-decent connections. Uh, So we're talking 120 megabits down. So a lot of people in urban areas there's a lot of choice. Uh, I, for example, I think I have 600 megabits down. Uh, John, are you up at uh, one gigabit or a thousand megabits down? Yeah, it's about 970-ish. Okay. Yeah. So definitely in urban areas where you do have good connectivity, it's going to be dramatically uh, higher. But uh, for someone living in a rural area that just doesn't have that, uh, you know, that speed, 120 uh, is a godsend. And uh, from what Dale's saying as well, it's 40 megabits up, which is faster than mine <laughs> going going <laughs> up. So he's ahead of, uh, ahead of me there. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk more with Dale uh, about his Starlink internet venture. Uh, I'm going to ask about pricing. How much does this all cost? And does it work in bad weather? Like if it's snowing or uh, raining or thunderstorms. You're listening to Get Connected. Back after this. You're back with Get Connected. Mike and John here. We're talking with uh, a great guest. His name is Dale Mugford. He's over in Prince Edward County, Ontario, a place that doesn't have great internet. He's spending over 300 bucks a month to, to get decent, decent internet access to his home and his family. And uh, he's uh, actually one of the lucky few that uh, has been able to get one of the new Starlink satellite internet uh, dishes. Uh, It's an Elon Musk company. They are rolling out this internet service to rural areas uh, around the world, uh, especially here in Canada and I think the UK to start. But I've got a lot uh, more questions. Uh, So the price, uh, $650, I think, for the dish itself. Dale, is that correct? Yeah, I think that's about it. Uh, around that six six fifty seven hundred, when you factor in the taxes, um, the question about that, and that that's a stopping point for a lot of people. Um, I think that the upfront cost there is prohibitive for, for for individuals. I mean, Elon's even talked about it. Uh, to my knowledge, um, and, and based on news and reports and information, if people really want to dig into it, I think the Reddit board R Starlink is really great. They've got FAQs up there. I'm posting on there regularly, and uh, people are sharing as much information as they can. Engineers from Starlink also post on there and share information and correct people and, and provide information. So it's super helpful. But the the um, 
the the thing with with the dishes is that uh, actually Starlink's eating some of the cost. Uh, the evidence was was that the, the dishes themselves are costing them about twenty five hundred dollars to make U.S. So they're eating quite a lot of the cost to get these dishes out there for now. But they believe the cost is going to come down on that. And of course, as they uh, make more and and economies of scale kick in, that they'll be able to bring that down. But they're they're doing a lot to just kind of eat some of that cost for people. Um, off the hop. Now, the question, of course, and this is the concern for some people who are early adopters like myself, how long will these dishes last? I mean, we all know technology. Is it going to be three years, five years? They're going to have a new, better dish. Uh, Elon's talked about uh, offering uh, gigabit uh, services via Starlink. So will you need a new dish for that? Possibly, probably. Um, But as far as for, for users like me, at $350 a month, doing the math, Buying that dish and getting $129 a month service, within 12 months, it's paid for itself. I'm saving money over what I've been paying before, and I have no other options. So it's a no-brainer. It's a no-brainer. It's cheaper. It's faster. It's better. It's more reliable. It's a no-brainer. I would say, though, a friend of mine who's kind of uh, in a suburban area, it's between between us and Toronto, so it's just uh, near Oshawa area, but he's kind of in the suburbs. He's like, you know, I would like to get Starlink just to stick it to the ISPs, the Canadian ISPs for kind of hosing us for so long. And I was like, whoa, 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 wait a minute here. Uh, you're taking a seat from somebody who otherwise has no options. So you might not be happy with the duopoly that exists out there, but in some of these locations where we are, it's a monopoly. So, you know, uh, and, and really, when you when you look at it, kind of like, you know, dollar for dollar, yes, it's expensive relative to the actual service you get. But as you said, uh, Michael, there's no way that uh, you know when you look at it uh, versus the other types of services that people in rural areas typically have to choose from. Um, you know, it, it, it looks like a good deal, but compared to an urban uh, internet. Um, offering, whether it's cable or you have fiber to the home or or something like that. I mean, there's no comparison and and they're better services usually at a better value. I have to ask a question uh, because in Ontario, I think it snows there 10 out of the 12 months uh, of the year. Is that right? Is that right, Dale? (laughs) So when it's it's snowing or uh, it's cloudy, how does that affect the service? So I shared a photo uh, and, uh, recently on Reddit, and, and it's I think it's up at the top now. I've got over a thousand likes on it, and it was you know I'm period still period connected or something like that. I couldn't believe it. I went out yesterday, so we got a dumping of about 25 centimeters of snow. Winds were 50 to 70 kilometers an hour in a fairly windy location. We're, we're just off of, of Lake Ontario. Prince Edward County is kind of an island that's south of Lake Ontario, so uh, we we can get some pretty windy conditions. I thought for sure, you know, the storm was coming at nighttime. I'm like, well, I'll go to bed and and Dishy and Dishy is his uh, effect, affectionate name for the satellite dish for Starlink, and it's the official name. So, so I'm not making that up. Dishy is the name, and and everybody is very affectionate towards Dishy because Dishy is giving you real internet service for the first time in rural, your rural environment. Uh, I thought for sure, I'm like, Dishy's Dishy's going to be covered in snow and ice. It'll be off tomorrow. I'll have to clean it off, but it'll be working again. Uh, the dishes are heated 
they're actually heated. They can detect that they have snow on them and they kind of use additional power uh, to warm themselves and melt that snow or ice off. Now, in this particular scenario, it was kind of really cold, minus 22, plus the wind. And I think Dishy couldn't keep up with the amount of snow and, and whatnot. And there was a fair, uh, half the dish was encrusted in ice. There were icicles dripping off of it. It had a big chin of icicles. I couldn't believe it, but I was still connected, still getting 40 megabits down, 15, 20 megabits up. I couldn't believe it. It was incredible. So they're really incredibly performing dishes. I think for people who've either had satellite previously or uh, know anything about how the, the traditional satellite services work, these dishes are beam forming array antennas. So they're, they've got some incredible technology in them. And that means that they it, it's kind of stays tilted. It's tilted towards the north currently. Uh, I would say, you know, 40 degrees or so. And with a beam forming antenna array, it can, it can uh, basically create a beam that connects to the satellite. And then as that satellite is traveling out of uh, range, it starts to create a second beam because it, it knows the schedule of where the next satellites are. And it creates that next beam instantaneously going in the opposite direction to catch the next satellite coming by. So it actually is instantaneously, it's not, it doesn't have to tilt, doesn't have to move. It can create multiple beams from the one dish uh, and, and it, it is that beam forming array technology that allows it to pierce through ice though conditions like heavy snowfall heavy rains thunderstorms all the traditional satellite uh, disturbance um, types of weather conditions will affect the performance it'll remain to be seen uh, how, how it works for me here but still I would take uh, you know a, a degradation to 40 megabits from 120 or 150 or or, or, or greater uh, over the connections that I had before uh, one last question uh, if you can answer and I don't know if you know the answer uh, do you have to sign up for a contract on it uh, what if you owned a cottage or a cabin and you're only using that you know one month at a time or a couple months can you just do that or do you have to sign up for the whole year those, that's a great question. Uh, I myself was uh, was wondering about that because with the existing ISPs that I had, you know, it's typically at least a year contract that you're signing. Um, Starlink is month to month. There is no contract, so you can you're paying for the dish. You're paying 129 a month, and you can cancel at any time. If you cancel within the first 30 days, you can return the dish and get a full refund, etc. After that, I think for a certain period of time, you can return the dish, and they assess whether it's been damaged or etc. And they'll give you a partial refund for the dish. But yes, there's no contract for it. And when you're talking about a cottage uh, or, or or going somewhere remote or you know, one of the big advantages, it sounds like what they're planning on doing is currently it's limited. It's a beta right now. And even when I think they launched the full service, it's limited to your service address. You got to think of it like they have kind of a, a geographic cell where they're trying to guarantee a certain quality of service and how many people are connected within that cell. And so they don't want people moving it. But one of the first questions, and certainly when you pull it out of the box, you know, Dishy's about, you know, I don't know, two and a half, three feet in diameter and got a pole and it's got a stand. And the first thing you want to do is you're like, I can carry this. I could take this somewhere. Could I put this on my camper van? Could I take this with me when I go on a remote fishing trip? Uh, so of course people have asked the question, you know, can I move it? Can I take it with me somewhere? And Starlink's answer is not right now, but they're planning that that would be the case. So you could actually take it with you, uh, which is a, an amazing, amazing uh, capability. So uh, I would imagine that's 
going to be a few years down the road before they'd get there. And some people thinking about, oh, I could put it on my camper van, et cetera. It's like, well, it's still satellite and a beam forming array needs to be really stable. So it's not like it could work uh, very effectively while it was attached to your vehicle or something like that. And you probably wouldn't want to do that kind of thing. But uh, but being able to take it with you portably uh, while you go on vacation or something to a remote cabin or something like that is sounds like it's going to be possible, which is which is fantastic. We've been talking with Dale Mugford over in Prince Edward County in uh, Ontario. He's been trying out the new Starlink internet service uh, that is uh, just going into beta testing now, and it apparently uh, works. Uh, I want to thank you for joining us, Dale. Yeah, thanks, Michael. Thanks for having me. When we come back from the break, more tech to talk here on Get Connected. Stay tuned. You are back with the program. Mike and John here. We've got uh, Graham with us. We're going to talk about uh, a new type of networking uh, in our homes and our smart homes called a thread networking. Graham, uh, explain to the listeners what thread networking is. I hadn't heard of this actually. So this is a, it's a really cool technology. We've all become used to the idea of mesh networking, right? if you're uh, with Shaw or Rogers or Bell, they've got all of their own uh, mesh network routers. Uh, D-Link has some really great ones. TP-Link has some great ones, uh, Linksys. And so the idea here is instead of having one broadcasting point, you have many broadcasting points that talk to each other. Right? And it gives you that seamless network coverage. So Thread is a low power uh, mesh networking technology for the internet of things. So all the stuff in your house that you know you interact with but doesn't perhaps have an operating system, things like your smart light switches, your smart bulbs, your thermostat, right now um, without Thread networking, it's using that high bandwidth, high power network that your you know, 4K Netflix stream comes through. It's a big pipe. There's a lot of data going through that. And because it's high power, it, it takes a lot of power to push information through that network. It's kind of taking it down to a, a layman's level, but this, this is, that's kind of the challenge. And the end result is, we've all experienced it, if you've got smart home stuff, you open up your smart home app, you go to change something, you see updating. And 20 seconds later, it's still updating. And you go to turn the lights on, and you wait. And 20 seconds later, the lights come on. That is the problem with our current networking. So Thread solves this. This low power uh, mesh network is designed to carry just that traffic. And so it is a place for your light switches, your thermostat, all of this stuff to connect together. So these routers that we use for Thread, and some routers are capable of it right now. If you bought a newer one, um, it can do that. If you bought a HomePod mini from Apple, it has Thread networking built in. Uh, But these are what we call edge routers or border routers. And it gives you that connection. And the reason I wanted to bring this up is because, you know, we had this thing drop into the market. We've had a couple of brands like Eve. Uh, they do, um, you know, beautiful lighting strips and colored bulbs and that sort of stuff. I've got a couple of them in my house. They updated some of their old products to support thread. Uh, I've got to tell you, the difference is night and day. Um, I've, got a, I've got a rock solid Lutron system that's because it's got a, uh, a hub, it is just as responsive. So the Lutron stuff, pretty rock solid. But some of the stuff like, um, you know, your hue bulbs, if you don't have the hub, uh, can be a little slow. But with Thread, this thing is fast. So right now, if you're at home and you've got a home automation system and it's not responding the way that you want it to, Thread may be the answer for you. So, so is this is this like Amazon Sidewalk where they're using this ultra wideband kind of thing in, in an effort to help with this type of problem? Or is this completely separate from that? This, this sounds a little similar. Yeah. It's, it sounds similar, but this is uh, the IEEE 802.15.4 standard. Uh, so it's basically using the same network as Zigbee. 
Okay. Um, so, so your home automation network. Um, what it is doing though, it's actually creating a uh, much more stratified network for it to operate in. So basically it's giving it better protocols to talk to and uh, a mesh network that is designed to be fast. Okay, so what do people need in their homes? So a couple of things that you're going to need. One, you're going to need devices that are thread capable. So if you're looking at your home automation stuff right now, some of it maybe you want to go check your manufacturers, make sure that your apps are updated, make sure that you've done any firmware updates. Um, So in my case, like I said, two of my Eve uh, devices were actually uh, thread capable and they updated right away and they worked right away. The other thing that you're going to need is going to be one of those either uh, edge routers or border routers. And so this is something like a HomePod mini. So for me, that was an easy sell. That was 129 bucks and uh, it added thread to my house. Um, I so, actually so, that, so, the, that. so the speaker added the, the thread networking. Yeah. And that's the interesting thing about all these speakers. When you take a look at things like Sonos or Google Home or HomePod, um, these are networking devices in and of themselves. They, they receive network, but in a lot of cases, they also have mesh networking capability built into them. Sonos has actually done this for years with SonosNet. Uh, if you talk to somebody and they're ever having a problem with their Sonos stuff, the quick question is always, do you have any of these plugged in? And the answer is usually, no, I don't. Uh, plugging a Sonos device into your network actually makes that a SonosNet router, which gives you that SonosNet that operates separate from your Wi-Fi. You can also use a Sonos Boost for that. So SonosNet, Thread, these are all technologies that use mesh networking specifically for an individual task that speeds up that task. Uh, and it's a really smart way to go. Yeah, it's interesting, Graham, because uh, I'm really automating my house and I love it. Uh, but many times when I do give commands uh, to Alexa to turn my lights on or off, it takes several seconds which drives me crazy. Yeah. And that's basically, again, you're, you're kind of, you're going out to the network. It's doing the voice recognition. It's coming back and that's sending out to individual devices on your network. Um, the challenge here is obviously that it's using network that is being used for a lot of other stuff as well. So thread gives you that speed um, and that capability. And like I said, I've, I've just been so impressed um, because it is a mesh network. There is no single point of failure. Your thread devices all decide to now support each other. So the more thread you have in your house, the more resilient your network is. So you're going to have to have some sort of uh, router, uh, like a thread router. You so saying? most routers that are going to be coming out now will have thread built into them. Okay. And if you don't, if you already have a router, you can add a thread capable device like a HomePod mini. Okay. And then the other smart home devices have to have that capability as well. That's right. So if you've got a bunch of stuff that's three or four years old, it's probably not thread capable. Um, If you're in the process of replacing those or in the process of rolling this out, you'll probably find that a lot of new stuff will be thread capable. God, so so hard to keep up on all this, Graham. <laughs> I thought I thought it was pretty good on networking. I thought it was so good on networking. Like I've gotten it down pat, and now this whole thread thing comes in. Well, it, it feels like we're kind of rolling towards um, a, a finalized standard. I mean, the, the joke is, you know, you put 14 standards in a room to get one standard, you end up with 15 standards. Um, it feels like this is actually us starting to figure things out. Wi-Fi 6 is getting there. Thread is getting there. And, you know, the level of confusion. The problem, I mean, I love my engineer friends. I love you guys. But we really need to put somebody in charge sometimes because you guys go crazy. <laughs> the rest <laughs> of us are standing around going, really? Help me out here. Talking about uh, uh, another type of networking for smart home technology is called thread networking. Make sure any devices uh, that you are purchasing have that capability. Uh, We'll be talking more about this in the weeks to come just so that we can try to understand this uh, a bit better. We're going to have to take a break. When we come back, more tech to talk. Stay tuned. You're back with Get Connected. Great prize uh, this month, giving away ZTE Media Tablets. It's an Android tablet, fantastic screen. 
If you want a chance to enter, it's so easy. All you have to do is go to our website, getconnectedmedia.com, hit the newsletter tab, and all the instructions are there. All you have to do is subscribe to the newsletter, and you are automatically entered to win not only this contest, but all the ones we have going this year, giving away thousands of dollars in prizes. And it's always great to have a, a tablet uh, around the house. John? Yeah, for your kids, for your, you know, have one in different rooms so you can just pick it up and go. Yeah. Uh, I even have one just for my smart home stuff now uh, that uh, I can go in and, uh, you know, use to turn on and off lights and, and uh, work the music in the, the different rooms uh, as well. And uh, this one's, it's beautiful. It's a nice size, uh, got a fantastic screen on it uh, as well. And again, if you want a chance to win, getconnectedmedia.com, hit the newsletter tab. I want to thank uh, all the folks that helped put the program together, John and uh, Christina. And uh, don't forget to listen to our sister show, The App Show, here on the Chorus Radio Network as well. We'll see you again next time.